You're going to be very happy. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Living the Dr- Wait a second. Wait a minute. That's right. We have changed our name. <laughs> In case you have not been able to tell by the updated logo and updated art, we are no longer the Living the Dream podcast. Instead, you're listening to the inaugural episode of simply the Jesse Hughes Show, which, for all extensive purposes... Is probably a better name. As much as I loved Living the Dream, it's probably a better name. And to help us kick off our brand new episode under a new moniker, I have my good friend, great guy, Christian Lawsvall in studio today. Christian, how you doing, man? Jesse Hughes. What an honor it is to <laughs> inaugurate the Jesse Hughes show. I'm so happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, of course. I'm so glad that you are here to talk with us. So first and foremost, just for those who may have no idea who you are, um, who are you? (laughs) Well, I was born and raised in the great state of New Jersey, uh, although... Great in air quotes. Yep, great in air quotes. Uh, It's like a mini California. Uh, But I came to Liberty in 2017, and I was hired for LU Stages, which puts on our convocations here as a sophomore, and then within eight months... I was working for what is now the Standing for Freedom Center, and I've been here now for two years since its inception. So now I am the Media and Influencer Program Administrator for the Standing for Freedom Center at Liberty University. Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> nice. Um, so what exactly, uh, for those that might not know, is the Standing for Freedom Center and what is your role within it? Yeah, so the Standing for Freedom Center is a conservative think tank based out of Liberty University. Um, We are obviously explicitly Christian first and foremost above everything else, but then we're also seeking to preserve, protect, and advance the principles of life, liberty, uh, and truth for the next generation. Obviously, it is no secret to you or your audience that we are uh, under an assault from secular progressives who are quite literally tearing down every good, true, and beautiful thing that we know in civilization, be it the family, be it sexuality, be it something as simple as sports. They are uh, infiltrating and perverting it with their leftist ideologies. And so the Freedom Center exists to give the biblical perspectives for why we hold to the political policy, cultural positions that we do. And you can find all of our work at standingforfreedom.com. Of course. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I love what you said about just everything we see from the most basic element of society right now is just under attack sports with the whole Leah Thomas situation. I was listening to Michael Knowles and I, I love his takes on like almost everything. Mm -hmm. Same. And he, he was talking about just like, it's almost so absurd. You would think that it's someone doing this on purpose Mm -hmm. just to point out how stupid everything is, but it's just insane. Like the kind of things that we see, going on right now from a spiritual perspective there is somebody who's doing all this on purpose and that's the great deceiver himself we know that satan as prince of this earth um, is plotting to seek kill and destroy and what other what better things to seek kill and destroy than the very identity of the human person confusing individuals into thinking that they're a gender that they are not uh, confusing them to think that their skin color is somehow a defining characteristic of who they are as a person 
throwing people into the highest depression rates that we've seen in, in young adolescents in ever since we've been tracking this stuff. Why? Of course he would want that. That is good for his causes, but obviously bad for us as a civilization, as a culture, as a country, as a people, um, and bad for the kingdom overall. How many souls are being kept away from knowing Christ because they are lost in this sea of what they've been told is love or what they have been told is how they need to affirm themselves to achieve happiness. And so they try and find it in their sex or their skin color rather than in the person of Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, Obviously, you and I are both Christians, and I've shared a little bit about my faith journey on here and through various times. I want to hear a a little bit about you. How did you come to your your worldview, your perspective on faith, your faith in Christ. Tell, tell us a little bit about your family background, your family history, and maybe some things that, that uh, has implications on right now going on. Yeah, absolutely. So my faith life, I grew up in a Christian household, Protestant Christian um, home. Non-denominational is how we would have classified ourselves, but along the Baptist tradition. Uh, my faith did not really become my own, though, until I got to Liberty University. That's how it is for a lot of people. I never had a faith crisis in that I questioned my faith. I always knew that what my the Christian faith was true. Um, I remember taking comparative worldviews courses in high school, which, to my parents' credit, probably helped avert any kind of faith crisis. Coming to a Christian university helped as well. Um, but I was never sheltered, even though I was homeschooled through high school. I was never sheltered from the outside world. I was very familiar with what was going on in the secular world. My parents did a good job of, because every parent has to shelter their kids to some degree. My parents did a good job of balancing that out. Um, So I knew what the secular was, but I also was being taught to understand how that compared to the Christian worldview. Uh, So when I came to Liberty University, that just helped enhance that worldview. Um, I have since become Roman Catholic, which if you tell (laughs) some people at Liberty, they would be Uh like, wait, something went wrong there. (laughs) I would obviously disagree with that assessment. But had I not come to Liberty, I, I wouldn't have become Roman Catholic. So I still am a Christian, although some might disagree with that. Um, but uh, I am deeper in my faith and in my relationship with Jesus Christ than I ever have been in my entire life, and I couldn't be happier with where I am. Uh, always growing and understanding the necessity for that. Actually, when you're in a position that you understand that it's not about you, and every Christian shares this, every true believer shares this, Catholic or not, um, that when you understand you are not enough in and of yourself, that you need the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and that your identity rests in who he says that you are, not in what society tells you that you are, and not in what you make yourself out to be. That position of understanding that you need him, not another person, not a a certain thrill or a certain addiction, no, but needing God, needing dependency on Jesus Christ actually helps to bring you that joy and that peace that surpasses all understanding that we read about in Scripture. So that's a little bit about my uh, faith background. Um... But family background, this is right along the lines of the kinds of things that you talk about on your show pretty regularly. My Real quick before we get into that, I do have to ask, Mm -hmm. how does a non-denominational man from a Protestant background come to a (laughs) Baptist school and become Roman Catholic? I'll tell you, the Catholic campus ministry here at the campus of Liberty University is quite, quite effective. Um, And it was through them and and members within the Catholic campus ministry that I started to— It poked my curiosity as to, wait a second, these are faithful believers. You can see it in the fruits of their spirit that they do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't think Catholics could be quote-unquote saved, Um, but they helped change my mind 
on that just by the way that they were living and then the reasoning that they had behind their theological position. So a lot of misconceptions that I had about the Catholic faith and its origins and its theologies, they all had an answer to it that I'd never had explained to me before, not because I couldn't have asked, but because I never cared to. Um, And it took a little over a year of me kind of diving into the origins of the church, like the the papacy, their dog, dogmas on on the Blessed Mother, and figuring out is this absurd or is there some actual substance to this? And in my own personal research, I came to find that Jesus Christ started one church, and the question is which church is it? Is it a conglomerate of churches who share the five solas from Martin Luther? Is it a is it the progressive churches who say that everything under the sun is acceptable? Uh, and they excuse all sorts of immoralities that you and I would agree 100% are sinful as okay? Is that the quote-unquote church? Or was it actually an institution uh, when he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whosoever sins you forgive will be forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain will be retained. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Did that refer to one specific church and one specific institution? And I came to the conclusion that it did, in fact, refer to one church, one institution, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, uh, and that's the Roman Catholic Church. So (laughs) that's a summary of it. We can dive into 50,000 different angles on that. Um, But, yeah, that's that's how it happened. So it was the CCM group here on campus and, and their members who were unapologetic as much as I pressed them, at times insulted them. Uh, to my to my fault, because even even if I would have not become Catholic, I shouldn't have been insulting in right. anything that I said, but I, I was guilty of that. Uh, they graciously continued to answer all of my questions until I ran out of avenues through which to escape, and I had to convert. <laughs> interesting. Yep. Okay. Well, okay. That's a very interesting story. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, we'll do another uh, episode another on just Catholicism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, so back in the... Up, to before I interrupted you, obviously I joke joke about you being the self-hating Hispanic whom <laughs> all men love. Um, so back to your family background, just kind of dive into that a little bit and yeah. tell me about that. So elaborating on the self-hating Hispanic, and for those of you who are listening, you're like, what the heck does that mean? My family comes from Cuba, uh, but when, when he says self-hating, it's because I don't buy into the identity politics thing at all. So people who would get offended by jokes that would be probably classified as, oh, that's racist. It's like, Motive matters here. If you're actually trying to insult somebody, okay, we got a problem. You're insulting somebody and you're trying to be cruel. But uh, making jokes at the expense of the kinds of food that I like to eat, <laughs> i.e. rice and beans, uh, that's funny. Uh, and motive matters when you say that. So some would say, oh, you're, you're self-hating. No, I actually think it's awesome to make humor about those kinds of things because it's cultural and it's, it's fun. Um, but my family does come from Cuba and my, my dad's side and my mom's side. Um, mom's side had it a lot more difficult than dad's did. Dad's side, my grandfather was only made to do a couple years of labor camp uh, before he was, and I know some are listening like, oh, that, that was nothing compared to what a lot of other people experienced. Yeah, two years of forced labor wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, but they applied because they had family in Spain to move to Spain and they were able to get out of Cuba shortly after Castro took over because they knew what was coming when he took over. Most Cubans did not. He used a lot of the same lingo tactic promises that we hear coming from the left today in the United States. And they convinced or he convinced them that it was a good idea to have him be the person who can rescue Cuba. Um, 
Obviously, that wasn't the case. So they got out to Spain. They applied for residency in the United States. And three to four years later, they were approved and they moved to the United States. Mom's side has the adventurous story. Uh, my grandfather had tried to escape two or three different times from Cuba in his younger years. Uh, fast forward, he obviously ended up meeting my grandmother. They got married. They had four kids. And, but he had already done, I believe, a total of about six years of prison, non-consecutively, for trying to escape. A couple of failed assassination attempts on him from people who he thought were going to help him get out, but ended up being moles for the government who wanted to kill him. One time in particular, he survived because the pistol jammed, and he was able to get away. Uh, but one day, they uh, it was actually during the Jimmy Carter administration. Sorry, the U.S. got gypped on this deal, <laughs> but it was how my family was able to get in at legally. Uh, the United States brokered a deal that they would accept a certain number of refugees into the U.S. from Cuba, and Castro was very clever about it. The U.S. didn't really set too many terms for it, so he emptied his prisons, his hospitals, his insane asylums. He sent over illness. He sent over crime, along with some great people as well. But all of these other folks who the United States <coughs> excuse me, should have probably done a better job of vetting. Um, but one day a soldier shows up to their hut. I don't even call it a house because to this day it's got dirt floors and no running water. Um, and my, my mother was about eight years old at the time, and she, just, she can tell this story and describe it as though it were happening right now. She can tell you the sounds, the colors, the smells, everything. Soldier walks up. They all wore their same green garb, all had a beard just like Castro did. So in her mind, it was Castro himself. At the time that he comes up to her, he walks in through the backyard because the door was open there. Uh, he asks for my grandfather. Se encuentra Orlando Cordobes, was my grandfather's name. And my mom didn't really know what to say. So she just calls out to my great-grandmother, her grandma, who at the time was cooking pork that was outside of the allotted portions. So it was illegal for her to be cooking the meat that she was, or preparing to cook the meat that she was preparing. That She could have been fined or put in prison for that. Uh, and my mom calls out. She says, Abuela, está Fidel. Fidel's here. And my mother says she can still hear the sound of the kitchen knife hitting the kitchen sink. And within the time that she said that to the time that the soldier invited himself in, the pork was gone, vanished. She hid wow. it, shoved it somewhere, but it was gone. And he asked her the same question. Se encuentra Orlando Cordobes? She said, no, he's at work. So he explains to her, you're being given, I think they had eight hours, to determine whether or not you want to stay in Cuba or leave to the United States. So that's a total shell-shocking announcement. Here you are in a country that you know you wish you could get out of, but they don't let you out of it. Everything about life there is miserable, other than the fellowship that you can share with your fellow man um, and your relationship with Christ as much as they let you have it. Um, you're being told you get to leave. In eight hours, you have to make that decision, though. So they go to the community phone to phone out to my grandfather's job to get to my grandfather. And by the time he gets back to the house, they lost a couple hours. My grandmother was one of 15 kids. So there's a lot of family that's there that didn't get the same opportunity because my grandfather counted as a criminal since he'd mm -hmm. been imprisoned. So they let him and his immediate family nucleus get out. Now, my uncle, he was seven, six years old, also can remember it as if it happened yesterday. He said, he always says, he's like, I'm not trying to compare the suffering to what the Nazis went through under uh, Nazi Germany. He said, but the unknown factor was the same. They, from the day that they decided, yes, we're going to leave, and there's a lot of risk there because, sure, you might make it to the United States, but are they going to punish your family because you decided to leave? And 
you left the government and their system? Are they going to punish your 14 other brothers and sisters and their spouses and their children? Are they going to starve them, beat them, imprison them, shoot them? All of that was a regular thing. Um, so it was a big risk. But the entire family said, no, if you have the opportunity to go to the United States, you need to take it. So they did. But my uncle did say, he said, that unknown factor of being transported from one spot to the other to the other. Over the course of two weeks, they had food thrown at them, spit on, rocks thrown their way, uh, kept awake all night at different checkpoints. Why? Just because. Because they were the Cuban soldiers were cruel. And so they just were toying around with them like they were scrap. Finally, after two weeks, they did ultimately get on what was called the Mariel boat lift. You can Google search that and see images of benevolent Americans who came over in droves to rescue these Cubans and bring them over to the United States. The benevolence, by the way, that is only possible because of the economy and the liberty that we have here in the United States. Otherwise, there would have been no opportunity. You can't, if, if Cuba were the safe haven, there are, sorry, there's no boats outside of what the government might have that could have gone to help rescue Americans. These were not people being paid to come pick them up. No, no, no. These were benevolent Americans who were blessed with wealth and the ability to afford boats in the United States who could come and rescue these people. And it was eight in the immediate family nucleus that were able to come over. When they were, I want to say maybe within an hour of shore, it's a 90-mile trip, so it took them overnight. Sun was rising. My grandfather tells the family, says, we're now going to the United States. This is the land of opportunity. If you set your mind to it and work hard in this country, you can make it. We're starting fresh. We're starting new. And he took that suitcase and he threw it overboard. So they literally showed up to the shore of the United States in Key West with nothing but the shirts on their back, understanding that they were coming to the land of freedom and opportunity, knowing that all they needed was the chance. Let me have the opportunity, what they could never get in Cuba, and we will succeed. And they did. Wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. it, it reminds me, you, you heard me say this the other night at the uh, Scott Walker event we were at. Um, history does not repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme. Right. It's a quote. It's been attributed to Mark Twain. I'm not sure who originally said it. But it, that does remind me a lot of, like, it has similar parallels to, um, and y you see this in the movie, and the movie doesn't do it justice, but um, in 1940, um, during the German invasion of France, the Dunkirk operation, mm. when the British got backed all the way up to Dunkirk and mm. were having to be evacuated, there were British civilians that put their lives on the lines and brought over their own personal boats and helped get as many soldiers out. And, you know, it's not the... It's not the same situation by any means, but like I said, history does not repeat itself. Mm -hmm. It certainly rhymes, though. Mm -hmm. And with that being kept in mind, you unfortunately see a lot of very similar things, and you alluded to this, of the Castro regime's rhetoric and their policies and the things that they wanted to do. You see a lot of people trying to implement those same things here mm -hmm. now, and I'm sure especially for someone of your family background, that is a very scary thing to see. This is what my family escaped from less than a century ago and now it's coming over to the very place where I live and love. Absolutely no and it's it's not so much that it's making its way over here in many respects it's already here. And it's been here for a while. When they first first came over when my family first came over to the United States, uh, my dad's dad, he's always said it. Said the communists hide in the Democrat party. 
what I add to it now is they're not hiding so much anymore mm. because you have some socialists who are just Mar communist lights or Marxist lights who are very out in the open about it. You got Alexandria. a selfie with one of them. Yes, I did. <laughs> Bernie Sanders in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Bernie, AOC, Elizabeth Warren. There's a lot of high-ranking federal-level Democrat officials who are very friendly, if not open embrace of, if not outright Marxism, Marxism light, that they call socialism. It's already here. It's governing and dominating in places like California and New Jersey in the way that they operate their economies. And socially, it's shifting that way now too. <clears throat> it's starting in our big tech oligarchy, but they're the ones who are administering what you are allowed and what you aren't allowed to say. In Cuba, there are songs that are illegal. It, it does eventually get to that point. You, you say that to an American now, and like, oh, it's not that bad. It's only if you say a man is a man. That's the only thing that will get you suspended <laughs> on Twitter. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, let me, uh, let me spout a biological fact real yeah, quick. suspended. <laughs> but we know that this is not, and you'll have your libertarian types and maybe even some on the left who are trying to play friendly with conservatives say, well, it's a private company. They can do what they want. No. First of all, we're conservatives. We don't, we're not libertarians. We actually do believe, as Governor DeSantis has demonstrated better than arguably anybody else, we are to use the power of the government to preserve and protect liberties, even if that means, yes, you're using government power, but for what purpose? Is it for a good purpose or a bad purpose? If it's to protect free speech, that is a good purpose for the use of government, which I think the federal government has lost countless opportunities to have taken that action, most specifically when Republicans were in majority, to protect free speech on social media platforms so that somebody like, I don't know, the sitting 45th president of the United States doesn't get taken off of social media carte blanche, uh, but they didn't. So now it's making its way to us, where they are, and Jen Psaki has admitted it from the White House podium. Yeah, we're in briefings with Facebook about what to flag as misinformation. That's no longer even a private company. You are now an extension of the executive branch of the United States' federal government, where you are operating under the instruction that the government tells you, hey, these are things that we want flagged as misinformation. These are things that we want buried in search results. This is the kind of content that we want suspended from your platform altogether. We have political prisoners right now in the United States. Those who were involved in the, in the trespassing and riots of January 6th, many of them without an arraignment, without charges being filed, without trial, rotting away in a prison cell in Washington, D.C., the capital of this free country. I do, I do want to say real quick, I know some of you may hear that and have a certain reaction, but I know we all have our opinions about what happened on January 6th, but no matter what your opinion on that is, I think that we can all agree that no matter what crime has been committed, whether it's a crime or not, you can't be put in jail without, like, your constitutional rights being protected. And a lot of these people have been just thrown in jail with none of the constitutional protections they're supposed to be guaranteed. So it, there are, even if you are of the opinion, which I know many of you are, and I am sort of that that shouldn't have happened, you know, you can't still, you can't sit back and still not look at what's happening with their being thrown in jail without rights, without uh, their protections, without any of those things, mm -hmm. and be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, and the left loves to talk about, oh, we're for social justice, and we love our everybody, and we want justice, justice, justice. It, that's, that's a, that's a full-sum game, then. you got to be for justice all the time. Then. Right. And it is not justice that somebody who, and again, they've not been able to file insurrection charges on these people because it wouldn't stick 
most of these people are, that are in there may have punched a wall or just quite literally walked through the Capitol. Should they have? No, they were trespassing. Does this punishment fit the crime? No. Is it just to leave them in prison for over a year, still not ha being uh, given any kind of accusation formally, being put before a judge, all the while denied basic food, water, religious liberty necessities that they have? They've been denied all of it. And maybe five congressmen have been bold enough to talk about this because they don't want to touch the PR nightmare that it is to say, wait a second, we're mistreating these people. But that is in fact happening in the United States. During COVID, how many businesses were by governor's order, just, hey, we control you now. We can tell you when you can open. We can tell you when you have to close. We can tell you how many people can come in your business, how many can stay out. Complete control of these businesses using emergency powers. A restraint or to restrain that is going to be extremely difficult. Some states have done it. I'm forgetting the name of which state now where they amended the emergency powers of the governor where I think it's within 60 days the, the, the legislature of the state by two-thirds majority has to vote to reinstate that. And thank God that they did because otherwise you have your Governor Newsom's and your Whitmer's who quite literally became mini tyrants, right. dictators of their even, own state. Even here in Virginia with Ralph Northam. Ralph Northam was another great example. Even, even in North Carolina with Roy Cooper. Like mm -hmm. I, re I remember when COVID hit, I was... My mom um, was my. Both of my parents, thankfully, were considered essential workers. My mom works for a hospice, and my dad is a truck driver for FedEx. And so they were both, thankfully, considered essential workers. They were able to keep their jobs. They were able to um, just be able to provide us for a living and be able to provide for me to go to Liberty. I remember that when COVID hit, it was my senior year of high school. I just after all of that madness happened, there were so many unknowns. I was like, am I going to be able to go to college? Am I going to be able to do anything? Where is this going? But I'll never forget one of the most striking things to me. Um, my family's obsessed with Chick-fil-A. We have a, <laughs> we have an unhealthy obsession based. We have an unhealthy obsession with Chick-fil-A or maybe a healthy obsession, depending on your definitely healthy, <laughs> depending on your nutrition <laughs> use. Um, and there's a, Every small town has, you know, or not small town, but, like, medium-sized town has that, like, smaller mall that has, like, the mall Chick-fil-A. You and your friends go mm -hmm. hang out after mm -hmm. high school, uh, after class and stuff. And I remember, like, that's where I'd go to watch movies with my friends. That's where our church would take just trips to do, like, evangelism stuff and everything. And there was a Chick-fil-A in there. And I'll never forget after the shutdown orders happened, my mom wanted Chick-fil-A one day, and so she called me up at the house and was like, hey, Jesse, can you go get us some lunch, go to about, go by the mall, get, get some sandwiches? I'm like, sure, because, you know, restaurants were considered essential, so I was able to go get some food. I'll never forget walking into the mall and seeing once what was – it was a bright, vibrant place, people chattering, stores open and everything, but they, after – Cooper announced the lockdowns and the 14 days to slow the spread. <laughs> Remember how long that lasted. Um, it's still going. It's still going in some <laughs> places. Walked in. It was quiet. Just dead quiet. It was like an eerie silence. Every store was closed. The gates that they have that you see in like pictures and movies and stuff were across the doors. Lights were off. 
And even in the Chick-fil-A where I was getting the food, the only talking there was was like low whispering among the workers about what to prepare and everything and me ordering. And after I ordered, it was just silent. And it was so weird. It was so creepy. And that was in North Carolina, which is typically considered a red state that unfortunately has a moron in chief and as a governor. Mm -hmm. But if that's in North Carolina, I can't even imagine like other states like New Jersey and California and Michigan, you hear the stories, but I couldn't imagine being there. Well, and it's, it's important for people to, to understand that other tyrants in the past, dictators in the past, Hitler, chief among them, he made the Jews a public health crisis and justified a lot of what he did to them as we're trying to preserve public health. He otherized, by their religion, an entire group of people to the point where he conditioned an entire country to be okay with at least looking the other way and pretending like an extermination of an entire group of people wasn't actually happening. Are we there yet in the United States? Not quite. There was talk about it already from some governors who were basically like, enough with the unvaccinated, cut them off from all society. Uh, that takes you just one step away from, hey, they still won't get vaxxed, off them altogether. And for those who say, oh, that's such an absurd suggestion, did it seem absurd to you that your governor could dictate when you could open the doors of your business? Did it seem absurd to you before COVID that your governor would fill an entire skate park with sand so that you couldn't skateboard in it? Did it seem absurd to you that the same out-of-touch Speaker of the House who could eat ice cream in front of her several thousand dollar refrigerators while telling you how important it was to stay home locked away, not making any money, unable to provide for your family to keep others safe, quote-unquote, went and got her hair done at a salon and then threw the owner under the bus saying that it was a setup the whole time despite there being text messages of her having scheduled the appointment. Did it seem absurd to you that our governing officials would do things as unreasonable and as cruel as that, keeping people away from being able to operate in our economy, to provide for their families, to meet the needs of their children, their wives, their workplaces, it happened, and it happened fast. And then when the vaccine stuff came around, very quickly you had late-night show hosts and governors and other politicians talking about how we ought to punish those who won't get the vaccine. More recently, with something as stupid as Will Smith slapping Chris Rock in the face, <laughs> you have people talking about how it is violence to make a joke about somebody like Jada Smith. It's insane. Because she's a black female. It is violence to call somebody by the incorrect pronoun. It is violence to microaggress against somebody. What do we do with violent people? We punish them. Right. If it is violence to say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, what is the logical conclusion of what someone on the left will do to you if you insist that there is one God whose be only begotten son is Jesus Christ and that salvation is only attainable through his sacrifice and bodily resurrection on the third day, what are they going to do to you when they say that suggesting that is violence? That saying that a man with uh, XY chromosomes is a biological male or a female with XX chromosomes is, is a woman 
when that is violence, look at what they have already done in such a short period of time. What would have seemed an absolute absurdity just a couple of years ago is now par for the course. Same things have happened before. Same things are happening now. Do not be so foolish as to think that we are exempt from the same kinds of evil. History may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. Do not for a second think that we're exempt from the same kinds of evil that have happened to us before. We are currently living in the midst of a genocide worse, worse by more than double, more than triple what Hitler ever did with the absolute infanticide going on through the horror of abortion. Amen. Do not think for one second that the same kinds of evils that you are horrified to read about in your history textbooks aren't possible to happen again in your lifetime. That kind of disconnect and that kind of fantasy to think that it couldn't happen is what guarantees that it will. There came a day in Cuba when the soldiers came around and collected the keys of every private business and said, you don't own this anymore. The World Economic Forum had to delete the video, but they put it out there. What are their goals? You, you will, will own, own nothing, nothing rent everything, everything, and, and be, be happy. happy. These are the stated goals of individuals who have very high levels of power nationally, globally, and they intend to see to it that their goals are accomplished. The only thing standing in their way are patriotic Americans who will say, know that the costs of freedom are worth fighting for because the costs of losing it are infinitely greater. I was wondering how long it would take for Will Smith and Chris Rock to get by. <laughs> 30 minutes. That was, that's a pretty good amount of time. Pretty good. It's like half of all social media right now is Chris right. Rock and Will Smith. But, but on a serious note, no, absolutely to what you're saying, it's insane just the sheer amount of things that we're hearing and – no matter from what side, if you bring any of this up and try and stand up and say, no, this is wrong, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have had to have stood up and say, no, this is wrong because everybody thought it was wrong. And now we're just slowly slipping further and further into insanity. I'm an optimist. I think I think there's hope. I think that there's hope just around the corner. I think that people might be starting to see kind of the insane, like just how wild these things are and are starting to come around. I'm an optimist. I don't I don't know if you are or not, but I'm definitely more of a pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> but either what but it's still just insane for no matter how much you try and stand up, even in Christian circles, you try and stand up and say, I'm a proud American and I think that what's going on is wrong. You're a Christian nationalist. <laughs> you need to da, 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 da. Can, can you speak to this insanity and obsession over the Christian nationalism bullcrap, as I like to call it? I am a Christian nationalist. <laughs> Not in the sense that the, those on the left want to paint us to be, because they immediately associate that with, oh, you must be a racist, white supremacist, homophobe, transphobe, whatever other nonsense Phobe. insult, yeah, ad hominem attack that they love throwing at us. Uh, but I am very much proud of my country, and I love her history, faults and all. I, I can absolutely admit that she hasn't been perfect, just like literally everything else. But overall, there has never been a more just government than the United States is. 
spare only God governing over Israel himself. <laughs> that, that's Amen. obviously the, the perfect standard Amen. that, and, and the people messed up, but that they had the perfect governor. God, you're not, great and all, but we want a king. Exactly. He's like, what? How what? Would, you're going to trade Jehovah for a worldly leader? All right. You're going you're to lost. trade literal Yahweh uh-huh. for Saul? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But other than that, the United States has been the greatest government in the history of the world. That's given more justice, more prosperity for the most amount of people than any other government in the history of the world. I am proud of that. And I want to improve that. We are always striving for a more perfect union. Nationalism in and of itself is not a bad thing. Despite what people may Despite tell you. Despite what they might tell you, it is not in and of itself a bad thing. Can there be extremes? Yeah, of course there can be. There's Just extremes like in everything. everything else. One extreme is Christians who can't take pride in their country. That's <laughs> yes. an extreme. That, it is an extreme to tell me that the country that has afforded you more opportunity and more justice for more people than any other country in the history of the world, I can't try and preserve and make better or participate in the political system to try and get that done. That's an extreme. Listen, I completely understand the viewpoint of, oh, I am not a citizen of this earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. Like, yes. Of course, but I forgot who said it, but a very famous preacher once said that you cannot be so heavenly minded that you're worth no No earthly purpose at all. Well, it flies in the face of all of Christian history, first of all, and the Bible itself. If you think the Bible isn't a political book, start over. The entire (laughs) thing is involving kings and pharaohs and rulers. Jesus was crucified, yes, for the spiritual, there was the spiritual side of it, the faith side of it, that there needed to be a perfect sacrifice made to atone for our sin, yes. But on the worldly level, he was a political threat. Exactly. If if the Bible is not political, if Jesus is not a political threat to nations, then why did they burn Christians at the stake? Why are there nations now murdering Christians, banning the Bible. There's like, what, 30-something nations or mm-hmm. more where the Bible is literally illegal. Moses, and probably going to be more as future goes on. Moses literally went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. That was a direct confrontation with the highest level ruler in that country. It's, an, it's entirely political. It has implications for everything politically related. It has implications for how government ought to function, what it ought to protect, what it ought to outlaw, what it ought to permit, what it ought to stay out of. All of that. The scriptures provide and have implications for all of those issues. So this idea that you can be, uh, that it's sinful for you to participate in politics or to bring your religion into the public sphere. I'm sorry. I believe 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive to obey Christ. Suddenly politics and culture is not supposed to be included in that? I know plenty of Christians that love that verse, but for some reason they only love the last half. I don't get it. I don't, it doesn't, it, it's, it's a completely disconnected from the reality of what we read in scripture and what Christianity has historically been. Cultures are better when Christians are actively involved in them. Government is better when Christians are the ones at the helm because somebody's worldview is going to be the primary influence in what your government does. It's going to be somebody's. Are you really going to look me in the face as a believer who claims to want to advance the teachings of Christ and spread the gospel throughout the world and the fruits of the Spirit to everybody that you can? You're going to look me in the face and tell me 
you're a bad Christian if you take that into the political arena. No, I'm sorry. You're a bad Christian if you don't. Amen. And luckily, we've seen lots of Christian figures stand up and fight. I'm so glad you mentioned a few minutes ago our my favorite governor right now, Mr. DeSantis, down in Florida. Amen. Florida has been in the news a lot recently. For, Florida is the free country, okay? Florida, <laughs> Florida is the free country. Florida's been in the news quite a bit because a perfectly, perfectly reasonable bill is apparently being just completely castigated. I'm sure many of you have heard of the supposed don't say gay bill that mm-hmm. doesn't actually say gay in the bill. Maybe that's why they call it the don't say gay bill because it doesn't say gay. <laughs> <laughs> but they want you to believe that it does say gay and that you shouldn't say gay mm-hmm. because gay is bad, even though the bill never even uses the word gay. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, credit to the left. They, they do a masterful job of hijacking narratives and turning it for their own purposes. Uh, this morning I was watching uh, some content from Steven Crowder, and he played a mini <laughs> compilation of celebrities talking about the don't say gay bill. And in the videos, they're explicitly angry at the fact that the bill prohibits you from saying gay. And the humor in that is in, it doesn't do that. (laughs) But they're very passionately and ardently making videos, insulting DeSantis and and spitting down on the bill for something that it doesn't even say. In case you didn't know, the actual name of the bill is the Parental Rights and Education Bill. (laughs) That's right. It's House Bill 1557 that Governor DeSantis signed either yesterday or the day before. At the time of this recording. Yes, at the time of this recording. It is uh, March 30th, so <laughs> a day or two ago, he, he signed it into law. And let's, again, on the topic of what's radical, the Christian nationalism, radicalism, all this stuff, let's look at what the bill actually says and determine who are the radicals here, okay? Right. The Parental Rights and Education Bill prevents teachers from speaking to kids about sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten to third grade. You Which, in my opinion, doesn't go far enough. But but many conservatives have been saying that. But the flip side of that is look at the opposition that they've shown for kindergarten through third grade. It's insane. Why, okay, I was going to ask you, why is the left so obsessed with kids? Like, are we dealing with a bunch of Jeffrey Epstein's? Is is there— In is large beca- part, or in larger <laughs> part than I'd like to admit, yes. Is it be like is it Jeffrey Epstein type people? Is it just because kids are impressionable and that they can use them? Is it a mix of both? Mm-hmm. What's your thought on that? So there's definitely some of the Jeffrey Epstein stuff from it. You've got some Disney executives and Disney staff who have been now found in child pornography or child trafficking charges, which is so ironic because no company has been more outspokenly against the parental rights and education bill than Disney itself. <laughs> so there's great right. irony there. If y'all want a good couple hours on YouTube, go look up dark side of Disney videos. It is insane. <laughs> and get lost in the YouTube recommendeds. But no, the other side truly is an entire generation with college degrees who have been indoctrinated into a leftist worldview, which encompassed a lot of what we saw come, well, we didn't because we weren't born, but a lot of what happened in the sexual revolution, this idea that uh, it is most noble to just set all of your base desires and sexual passions free, unrestricted, all this stuff. And now that has led to incredible numbers of depression and mental disorder with people who think they're a gender that they're not and are convinced they're sexually attracted to whatever it might be and that it's a good thing for them to entertain and fulfill, satisfy all of those perverse sexual desires 
only to find out that there is no happiness that comes on the end of, at the other end of that, but more depression, confusion, chaos, and sadness for your own life. So there's a whole generation that was raised in that. Their college professors were starting to teach them that Marxists, secular humanists, who were teaching them that, and now those people are in the workplace. When you and I were very young, we heard about all the snowflake stuff and, oh, when they get in the real world, they'll get toughened up by reality. No. They're in the real world now. They replaced what we knew the real world to be because one generation passed and the next generation took their place. Now those people are the educators to your children. And there are agendas behind this. You have the uh, mass for, uh, formation psychosis, which is something that Dr. Malone talked about at how they might they don't need to know the intricate details of, of a plan to take over a country like the cultural revolution that we are experiencing right now. But they can be influenced by key leaders to start going along with it. Key example for those who think that's an absurd claim that doesn't actually happen. The black square. How many people <laughs> felt literal pressure to post a black square in solidarity with George Floyd when he was killed? Even though there was absolutely no need to do it, but you were treated as though you were a heinous criminal if you didn't. How dare you not stand in solidarity with us? That very quickly made a mass formation psychosis for everybody going along with this thing that they didn't actually have to do to show any kind of solidarity. But it moved people in that direction without any one person coordinating that per se. Same thing that's happening in the schools. Part of their desire because of their worldview is to bring your children into the same worldview that they have, the same identity that they – or the same thoughts that they have on things like sexual identity and individual identity and all of the LGBTQ plus AAIP LMNOP causes. <laughs> the alphabet people. The, the alphabet people. As they, Dave Chappelle, they my are, favorite. That is their religion. For us, we're trying to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. For them, they're trying to spread the gospel of whatever the current thing might be. In their world. The woke religion, as I've heard it called. Yes, which is always changing and self-destructing in itself, which is in a way a good thing because eventually it will have to eat itself, uh, but not before it destroys everything in its path. But that is what we're seeing out of schools, and increasingly so. You're seeing teachers openly on TikTok talking about how all the perverse things they're telling young children. But th these are th – you wouldn't let a third grader cross the street by themselves, let alone you're, – you're telling me you want to be talking to them about – intimate details about sex and biology at that age? Donald Trump's greatest failure in his entire presidency was not going through with the TikTok ban when he had a chance. You will never <laughs> Honestly, change my mind on that. <laughs> you will never change my mind on that. That was his greatest Not failure. having gotten rid of it altogether. But yeah, that, that's what we're seeing. And But to the back to who's who really is the extreme here, we are of the position that children that young ought not to be concerning themselves with things that their bodies aren't even ready for, first of all. They haven't even begun prepubescence. That hasn't even started yet. They, that shouldn't be conversations that are being given to them by their teachers. If the parents want to talk to them about that, children belong to their parents, not to their teachers. They get to do that. And at that young of an age, they have no business learning about that whatsoever. But as we know, the left does not care about parents and their rights. Uh, Terry Correct. McAuliffe said the quiet part out loud during mm -hmm. the debates during the governor's election when he said, I don't think that parents should have the right to tell schools what they should teach. Mm -hmm. But something that isn't uh, something I just thought about, and it hit me when you were talking about children that young shouldn't even be 
concerned with things like this. And it hit me that I'm a, unfortunately a living example of something that doesn't get talked about quite enough, but the more you think about it, plays into the left's handbook. And that's just the rampant accessibility of online pornography and how Mm -hmm. it's able to Mm -hmm. pull in kids. Like I remember, I think I was like 10 or 11 when I first got exposed to it. And no 10 or 11 year old should be exposed to that stuff. Absolutely not. But we're living in a culture now where the average age, last time I checked was eight. I'm sure it's worse now, but at that young of an age already being exposed to things like that. Right. The psychological and cognitive damage that that does to a child, emotional damage that that does to a child. The average is still 11, still which 11 is years old. surprising to me. That's still far, far, far too young. Oh, to absolutely. Be. And that, and that number may, may have to be reassessed now in the TikTok era because... Oh, absolutely. It doesn't take many scrolls through a TikTok feed. I'm constantly having to hit not interested, not interested, not interested to try and clean up the algorithm. And nevertheless, when you go to the For You... They always manage to throw something in there that's vulgar, sexually explicit. No matter how many times you try not interested in this kind of content, it comes back. So imagine young people, younger children, and what they're getting on their feeds. Lord. And it's just continually coming their way. And we know that TikTok, that app in particular, China is promoting that sort of content for the United States. And then in their country, they're promoting more wholesome educational content that's on purpose. That's part of right. the cultural revolution. I forgot who was talking about it, but I heard somebody talking the other day. You really think that a country like China is not going to use this advantage that they have to promote just utterly degenerate things to mm-hmm. de- try and destroy their biggest competition in yeah. the world? They'd be foolish not to because they've they've stated their plans. They want to be the world's leading superpower. And it matters who is the world's leading superpower, and it matters the morals, the values, and the kind of government that they want to implement as the world's leading superpower. So if they can weaken the United States by perverting the minds of our young children and getting everybody's attention away from what is good, right, true, and beautiful and onto things that are perverse, evil, wrong, and degenerative, why wouldn't they maximize on that opportunity? The question for us is what are we going to do about it? Parents, what are you doing to check and make sure that the content your young children are seeing isn't corrupting them before you've even had the chance to talk to them about what they're seeing even is? Mm. What are you doing to help fight against all of the forces of evil on our children, on people our age in our early 20s, people older than us? It's coming from everywhere. It's coming from different diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings in people's HRs at their workplaces. It's hitting from every single angle, every celebrity, uh, what you read in the news media, What are we doing to combat it, to oppose it, to stop it? That matters because what we choose to do on that will determine what our future looks like. We'll determine whether or not it is one filled with things that are wholesome, right, and good or whether it is filled with things that are degenerative, sinful, and corrupt. And one of the most important places where that is taking place right now and is is carrying out right before our eyes is on the Supreme Court with the confirmation hearings for Kentaji Brown-Jackson going on right now. 
Christian, should somebody that can't even define what a woman is be on the Supreme Court? <laughs> absolutely, they should. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it, 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 that should be an absolute disqualifying factor. How are you supposed to rule on cases that involve protecting women when you can't even determine what a woman is? Now, it's a fraud that she doesn't know what a woman is. She knows exactly what a woman is because, she as is a matter one. of fact— and she was nominated in part for being one. But Dick Durbin won't let you talk about that. Nevertheless, we don't know what a woman really is. We can't say. That, if, if she truly wants to take that position that she can't even define what a man or a woman is, you are too incompetent to choose which side of your pants is the left leg or the right <laughs> leg. Much less sitting on the highest court in the United States trying to determine complex legal questions of where certain cases fall within the jurisdiction of the Constitution of the United States. It should have been an Im- it should be an immediate disqualifying factor, but she will likely be confirmed and potentially with the support of a couple of Republicans, which is to their disgrace. Susan Collins already came and out Romney. and said she would. And that is an absolute disgrace, and they ought to never serve another day in elected office again for it. Um, and I hope that they don't when their next election comes around. I hope that they get they lose in epic fashion. Uh, but that should have been a disqualifying factor because if we cannot agree on such basic realities as what is a man and what is a woman, you cannot be trusted to answer anything of any significant importance whatsoever. Absolutely. All right, we're s- slowly running out of time, but I do have one parting question. It's probably one of the most controversial questions you'll ever have to answer. It's Uh-oh. been a, it's been a very hot topic. I, I have to ask you, and I have to ask <laughs> you what I have to ask you your opinion and what your reasoning behind your opinion is. Okay, are there more doors or wheels I in the world? I knew work? it was gonna go there. I knew it was gonna go there. This debate, I, I mean, it caught on quickly, and then I started seeing it everywhere. But my sister was actually the first one who did it to or who brought it up to me. She sent it in our family group chat where we have all our aunts, our uncles, cousins, all that. She just asked a question, and, and I, I remember I responded at first. I didn't realize it was a trend going around online. And I said, uh, I said, what did you eat? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is what you're concerning yourself with right now. And she was just starting an argument in the chat of who's got more, who's got less. I am Team Wheels, and I will mm. explain why. Because UPS actually made a TikTok, and they counted all of the doors and all of the wheels in their fleets, uh, airplanes, trucks, carts, all of it. And I think the wheels won out by several hundred thousand more. And then I saw another TikTok from another big company. I forget what, which company it was, though. And they had, like, they, they demonstrated on their assembly lines that the way they moved product around was on electronic wheels. And their wheels outnumbered the doors by even more. And I started to think about all of the things that we use wheels for versus the things that we use doors for. And there's no – it's all anecdotal, really. I can't give you an absolute. That's fair. But judging from these major, major companies who have massive fleets of vehicles and airplanes and trucks and all this stuff, carts and whatever else they have, the fact that they tallied their numbers and the wheels so far outnumber doors, I'm going to extrapolate from that, and I choose team wheels. See, I, okay. <laughs> I was on team doors for a while, but then I went back home for spring break, and I was talking about this very press, pressing issue with my uh, friend Levi, and 
in the era of Democrats and Republicans, I am now the bull moose. I am Team Windows. There are more windows. <laughs> oh in the my world. god! I was getting ready to. I thought you were going to say you were on Team Wheels now, and I was literally going to say, Jesse, congratulations, we've achieved world peace. And then you went and threw a nuke in the middle of it. You just made everything worse. <laughs> that is my job. I have been told that on the scale, I am a chaotic evil, and you know what? I've, I've, you I'm just a, proved that. I'm, I think I am. I think that it is true. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Christian. I have very, very thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for being on, and thank you, the listener, for listening to the inaugural episode of The Jesse Hughes Show. I hope that this has convinced you, if it hasn't already, to not only give us a nice five-star review on whatever streaming platform that you're using right now, but to continue listening, to subscribe, to keep listening for cool content like this, and also go subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll have a link for that in the description, um, as well as my social medias. Christian, where can people find you? You can find me on all social media networks, including Getter and now Truth Social. Oh, you finally made I it? I got in <laughs> at... Christian Lazval, L-A-S as in Sam, V as in Victor, A-L. And all of that will also be in the description. Okay, I know I said we're about to end, but (laughs) what number were you for truth? I got in, I think I want to say I was around 172,000 some, but I will admit I had a connection and he expedited my process. Wow, (laughs) okay, I should have talked to you because I was number like... One million. That's where Freedom Center's account was. And when I talked to him, I was like, could you get us in? He was like, yeah, send me the handles. And I was like, okay. And like a couple hours later, we were in. I was I like, hate yes. you. <laughs> I hate you. So I cheated. I cheated. I, wow. I cut the line. I cut the line. Okay. Well, <laughs> n- well now I have to go follow you because I finally made it in. Yes. I-, I also finally have made it in. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The first few hours of being there... Very concerning. I'm kind of scared. I don't know where I am. I haven't even signed in yet, I will admit, so I have to go do that. Oh, it's... (laughs) A lot of it's normal, and then every once in a while there's something that's just like, what is this? What am I looking at? I'll show you in a minute, but (laughs) thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, Watching. Gosh, darn it. Okay. (laughs) This is where my brain is now. Thank you guys so much for listening. We do not have video, so no one was watching, but... Um, God loves you. So do I. Go follow me. Go follow Christian. Have a blessed, amazing day. Thank you so, so very much for everything. I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience.